So I am heading for Limon, Colorado. It's about 3.25 here, my time. I'll be there in about three hours. And okay. I was just saying that I, I usually see Colorado when it's green and sparkling rivers and uh, lush landscape. Right now it's winter, but it, it really looks like we, they had a big storm last week, I guess. And so the hills are blanketed with snow, and it's just all white, frozen rivers. It's beautiful. I'm, I mean, I know you said I shouldn't take this route, but I'm just so glad I did because I'm just seeing stuff I would never have seen before. It's really lovely. Well, it's, I only mentioned uh, you you taking, for those familiar with this part of the country, you can, you can detour a little bit on Route 40, which is a two-lane blacktop, and it takes you to some what sounds like picturesque, uh, towns like Kit Carson, which is in Colorado, and there is a town named Oakley, named for Annie Oakley, just over the Colorado-Kansas border. And it just sounds like the kind of, you know, kind of small town character, picturesque, something that harkens back to the to the 19th, or I mean, to the 20th century or the you know 19th century. And it, I kind of, uh, you know, that's gone, you know, for the most part from our modern lives. And this is the only way you can touch it is when you're that's out right. in the rural regions, you know. That's why I do the drive, because I love to just see what our country, it's like a, America in the middle is like a ghost town. Um, it's like a ghost town full of towns that used to be, roads that used to be, manufacturing that used to be, everything's been evacuated. And it's weird because like, even though we all moved to the city, we're migrating even more now because we're migrating online. Everything's becoming digital, virtual, yeah. and that's the new frontier. That's where everybody is going to be headed. Wait a minute, you're still, saying that, the, that uh, commercial America, the vibrancy of, of middle America, the small towns, is basically dead because of, what, the pandemic, you're saying? Or what do you mean? No, no, no. It's not well. No, it's just over you just time, said you know. You said it's a ghost town. You said there's nothing there. Well, a lot of these towns are, yeah, absolutely. Through Iowa and Ohio, small town USA. The um, I'm sure they, they, you know, they're still hanging on, but the future of our species and our country yeah. is online, man. It's uh, transhumanism, the singularity. It's like we're... I mean, and, and I love it because it feels like a world gone by. You know, you sometimes see wagons left on the side of the road. You know, you see farmers, you see trucks, you see people. Life's going on about it. You know, it's just that you get the sense that, you know, things are moving in a different direction over time. In the next hundred years, I don't know, will any of you still be here? Who knows? Maybe the next generations will forge out into America and, you know, and reinvigorate some of these towns. I don't know. Hmm. Um, okay, so let's do your your five your thirty thirty. Yeah. No. Thirty, yeah. I didn't expect, like I said, I, I did not expect. I thought, you know, we all try to come up with at least ten that we think are really good. And uh I came up uh, initially with nineteen that I which I was surprised to do. And this are again, these are not the greatest films, these these are some of them are are truly top ten greatest stuff. And the rest are very, very good, except for one, which is um, the, the Northman, which I didn't really like, but I respected the craft of it. It's very hardcore and very serious. So I'll just go from the top, and you, if you would like to chim, chime in, uh, please. Right, are, you starting, are you starting with most favorite or yeah. least favorite? Yeah, okay. I, I've, got it, I've got it in a sequential top to bottom, most favorite and least favorite, but they're all good. They're all good. Empire of Light is my first. That's, uh, as you know, Sam Mendes' film, which 
was uh, screened in Telluride last September, and was uh, and the Wolfsters attacked it immediately for its. Um, you know, I think it's a schwigget. I I love it. And it's just my favorite film of the year. I, no, no question about it. Um, um, what did you think? And what do you feel about the Empire of Light thing? I mean, I know it's a dead film, and you know, the the people releasing it are, um, I guess, a little hesitant because they know that a significant portion of the critical community is, is against it. But there's no reason to be against it other than they just they just don't buy. Uh, the the the, um, the Michael uh, the Ward's character uh, being a, a, a man a Jamaican fellow of color <clears throat> they just don't want to accept his having a relationship a romantic relationship however brief with uh, Olivia Coleman and that was the end of it so do you have any feelings about it one way or the other well it bothered me that people weren't with the movie because I felt like I knew what he was trying to say. It just took him a while to get there and, and through many different entanglements. But it was basically this idea of, you know, yet another love letter to movie theaters and movies, which we've seen now a series of them. Filmmakers seem to be pleading with people not to let this wonderful, you know, art form die. That's definitely happening. happening. Yeah. And so this movie is, was, you know, Empire of Light. I, I loved that the character became a projectionist. Um, at the end, because, like, I, I was briefly a projectionist at Columbia University Graduate School. <laughs> I went there for a semester. And so I learned how to be the projectionist. It was so much fun. Well, and, that's, um, that's something we've never talked about. We're, we both uh, have, we have that in common because I was actually a licensed projectionist in Connecticut, back around 80 or so. So I didn't know that you had that experience. I, I was so thrilled. It's, it's one of the coolest things that, you know, it, uh, I wasn't there for very long. I didn't really fit in very well. I certainly wasn't ever made to be a filmmaker. Like, I just don't have it in me to do that. Um, but, and I didn't know it until I got to Columbia, and then I figured it out. But The Projectionist was fun because um, I got to see Andrew Saris introduce um, Last Picture Show, and I got, to, I got to work the projector for Last Picture Show. <laughs> and movies like that, like that was cool because they it would be showing they would only really be showing old movies. So it was the old movie projector. It wasn't the new digital ones. And so, you know, I learned about the little dot, you know, and you wait eight seconds and then you change the reel. Do you remember uh, the phrase eight at the gate? I think so, yeah. Eight at the, the gate? The the leaders are always numbered and if you have eight at the gate, that's a perfect Spot where it should be when you are about to turn it on and everything. So that's yeah. cool. That's cool. I know. So it was a short-term thing. Um, I got it on scholarship, mm-hmm. but I loved it. It was it, it was really fun. Anyway, mm-hmm. so where that movie's going is, you know, he, he's telling some fairly complicated story, I think, in that he's showing that there's all these people with their crazy lives outside of this movie house. And the answer to a lot of their problems is inside the movie house. If yeah. they can just figure out how to get into the movies, like Olivia Coleman works there, but she doesn't watch movies until, of course, the very end where she does, and her life is transformed. And I just thought he was saying something important that just got completely rolled over, and people just didn't pay attention to it. And I, I know what it's like to try to fight for a movie, you know, and have people try to notice it, and you know too. And they just don't. 
You know, they just won't. They get their mind made up about what they think it is, and that's that, you know. But you it doesn't, know, you know it shows ideas. sort of a, a, a shallow thinking and a dim-wittedness among critics, I thought, the way that they you, approach you, that. You know as well as I do that if uh, Michael Ward's uh, character, Stephen, was a regular English white bloke, it wouldn't have been any, it wouldn't have said a thing. They just would have, they would have said, it's good, or it's, you know, they wouldn't have attacked it. They wouldn't have attacked right. it. That's right. There's no question about that. I think anyway. the attacking came from the the resentment they have about Oscar Oscar movies. You know, they they want to take it down because it was it was supposedly had Oscar buzz, and they they sort of these film critics they fancy themselves like above Oscar people and Oscar bloggers, mm-hmm. and so anything that they like and anything that's earmarked for the Oscar, they're usually going to go after it, unless of course it's Tar, and yeah. then it's the second second coming of of Christ. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have that tar, but tar, by the way, is my tenth favorite of the year. I found it irritating. I've watched it four times. I've seen it. Uh, I've streamed it with subtitles. I've seen it in three different form, uh, three different theaters. And uh, I, I, as much as I dislike parts of it, and as much as it confounds and confuses me in some ways, I still uh, think it's one of the strongest and most distinctive, and certainly seaworthy uh, films of the year. Well, that movie is, to me, one of these movies I call um, background movies, which is that I just love the atmosphere of them and the sound of them, and I can just leave them on the background because they, you know, the, the, you know they go to these nice restaurants, they're driving around in nice cars. And, you know, there are some movies like that, like uh, Roman Polanski's Ghost Riders, like that. Um, yeah. You know that movie Damage that we both like with uh, Juliette Binoche and um, yeah. uh, that, that's, yeah, that's like that. It's just there's something about the sound of it. I guess it's just European movies, you know. Yeah. So I like Tar for that reason. I didn't, I don't see it as, you know, I, I, to me it's not as great as, as film Twitter seems to think it is. I'm not sure why they connect with it the way that they do. Maybe they think it's anti-cancel culture or something. Well, a lot of people think that. I mean, it, it, it says two things. It says that she was destroyed by cancel culture, but all eccentric artists, all people like her and like Roman Polanski, and you know, they, they all have these curious personalities, and they don't exactly fall in line and behave the way they're supposed to behave, and they use their power for sexual satisfaction or whatever. And it's not like uh, deeply criminal. And if someone, a, a young girlfriend, uh, one of her, one of her attractions, one of her affairs, who she discards cruelly and hurts her career, uh, winds up committing suicide. So that's it's tragic and sad that I. But this is the way. Uh, I don't. I just don't. I, I, a little gut feeling tells me that I don't think it's her fault that this young woman. Uh, off herself. I just don't. Well, he's, 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 cruel, a, he's, a, he's opaque about it. I do think that that's what happened because, I mean, I mean, I guess you could look at it two ways, right? One way is that the bitter person that's hounding her and haunting her and wanting to take her down um, indicates a woman who is uh, scorned, right? Or you could see it as her haters were lying in wait to take her down and they just needed a reason and then they found one with that. Yep. Case and that the woman and then that in that case, um, she would have rebuffed Kate Blanchett's advances and then been punished for it. 
Yeah. I would have preferred a man in the role myself because I, you know, I think putting a woman in the role complicates it a little bit for me because I don't 100% buy it that she would behave that way. It's a predatory. Well, but it is based upon a, a, a couple of guys who were taken down because of their sexual exactly. activity. So he just decided to switch it up a little bit by making it into a um, fascinating kind of hardcore lesbian type. Oh, no, I know. I, I, I didn't, that's what I mean. Like, it just seemed stunt casting in a way. Like, just to, And I know Owen said that that was great because it made it more ambiguous and difficult. But I don't think so. And, and part of it is because 90% of the movies seem to be about the gay experience. Mm. And... Um, and okay, fine. If if that's what people like, fine. I'm not gonna, you know, object to that. I'm just saying, like, mm-hmm. this story, I think, would have been more interesting to me if it was a man because it would have been more truthful mm-hmm. to society's um, desire to take them down. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I think it's, you know, I, I think that with women, and you can't just interchange them like that. Mm-hmm. With women, there's, it's more complicated. People stick up for them, and they have their own side of people who support them, and she's not necessarily going to have her kid taken away from her. And, you know, there's things that are make it different. If it's a guy, then you really can see that this person was just discarded. But I guess if it's a guy, you're not even going to think twice about it. You're just going to assume he, you know, he did it. And, uh, bad person. White guys are bad person. Yeah, I understand. I agree. <laughs> I don't agree. I think that's a stupid modern, you know, dilemma that that we find ourselves in. Yeah. We have these very high-achieving white males, and then all of a sudden they just don't want them to be there anymore, and they want to take them out of the way. Well, okay, so what are you going to replace it with, you know? Oh, well, people of color and women. Okay, fine. And so does that mean we're going to get great movies, or does that mean we're going to get movies by people who are going to film school? As we were saying in the previous conversation before the uh, signal cut out, it's about identity, it's about diversity, it's about equity, and that's what people care about. It's not about just good on its own terms, uh, which it really does exist. There is such a thing as really good cinema. And Andrew Saris and many other people knew exactly what I'm talking about right now. Well, I mean, they don't have that problem in other countries, you notice. Yeah. In other countries, they're able to just tell stories. And part of that is I figured out that, mm-hmm. first of all, America has gone completely insane like Canada. Like, we've just been infected by the woke mind virus. It's it's true. But the other thing is is that in other countries, they tend to have a universal story about them and their people. Not everybody is included in that, of course, but they tend to be like in, in South Korea. It's pretty much everybody in South Korea, you know, understands and explains the South Korean experience, you know? Mm-hmm. And so telling a story about South Korea is going to be easier than here. It's, it's hard to speak for everybody because everybody's got these weird, uh, peculiar courses. But the woke thing is just forget it, kill it, just kill it yeah. dead because it'll kill, it's killed art. Like it's just done. Like, is that dogma? No. Mm-hmm. It's work. like we're, we're living, it's like a, the analogy that I, have brought up a couple of times is that we're living through a period somewhat similar to what modern art went through in the 1930s. Yeah. And pretty much um, everything was turned into a kind of a glory of the working man propaganda paintings. And modern art, as we knew it, at least as the world knew it, uh, tout le monde in the, in the 1920s and 
uh, it, it just stopped. It wasn't that it died. It just stopped being a thing, and it didn't really resume until the mid-40s after the war. Then it came back big time. But uh, yeah, during I mean, the 30s, you know, it's definitely going to be an ebb and flow, but I, yeah. I, it's regrettable to be living through this particular period. All right, so let's go on with your list. My number two is I hope I, I have a sense you didn't see it yet, but it's Lucas Don't film Close, which is a now, I, I just devastating. Got the, yeah, I hear it's great. I just got the screener for it, so I'll watch okay. it. Okay, okay. It just came in just now, you mean? Well, it's at like home. A couple of days ago? Yeah. Oh, you mean an actual physical screener? Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, then my number three, uh, it's just devastating. I mean, it was the big, it was the... People were saying this has to win the Palm d'Or in Cannes. People were like knocked out by it. Scott Feinberg. A lot of people were like swearing by it. Clayton Davis swore by it, and then it didn't win, but it won. I forget what it was. Was it the screenplay or something? But it was you know one of the secondary awards. And here we are, Oscar season, and I don't hear anybody really talking about it. It's just like Cannes is its own planet, and when it's over, it doesn't necessarily translate. Not to, not to our culture, anyway. Right, That's I know. Sure. Um, I, I, I agree with you that, at least for now, there's not a lot of buzz about it. Um, right. I'm not going to say again about, you know, the woke shit anymore, but I, I do feel like, in a way, that that is used to drive publicity, to drive a story, and it's harder if it's just all white people involved. Well, here's the thing that it did encounter, and I'll just say this briefly as we move on, but it was criticized because, from the gay, gay or queer perspective, it said the wrong thing about identity and about what kids may feel about themselves, about their position, if they, they sort of sense that they're, they are gay themselves, but they, ha- they aren't old enough, they haven't you know, become hormonal, and it's just kind of in them in a little bit of a way. Um, there's a tragic thing that happened uh, halfway through the film, and it's uh, it's was argued by the by the gay woke critics. This is not something that we should be seeing. This is not positive in terms of identity. So it is kind of attacked by the woke uh, And Lucas yeah, Film is, is not coming from that place, and he's just telling a sad, incredibly moving story. Right, so is, I, I, it was affected by the woke mindset. Yeah, because they feel like every movie has to have the right message to put forth, to teach people how to think. That's it's right. so annoying. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is annoying. But um, all right, so what's next on that? Number, th- number three was, uh, I mean, I was absolutely floored by this film, a French film about abortion in 1962. Oh, happening. Hap- <clears throat> happening. You didn't like it? I haven't watched it. <clears throat> okay. I'll just say right off the bat that there's going to be a very high probability that a lot of the movies that you're naming here I have not seen. How about Vengeance? I love it. Four. You told you turned me on to that thing. Yeah, and Vengeance. I, I was I was never had been so happy with any Sasha Stone recommendation this year as Vengeance, and I thank you for that. Yeah, and what about Argentina in nineteen eighty five? That's good too, huh? You turned me onto that also, and that's on my list also. That's number whatever, down yeah. twenty. But it's, I I really like that film. My number yeah. five was she said, I know you saw that, and you were pretty much on board with that, yes? Yeah. That's another one that's like a bat one of those background movies that I can watch over and over again. 
just because it has vibes it, right? The New York Times and the department. Actors, yeah. yeah, there's right. just something, you know, right. even toned, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Interesting movie, they don't overdo it. It could have just been so melodramatic and ridiculous. Can I ask your opinion of one scene, and she said, there's mm-hmm. three, the three women, uh, the two reporters and their editor, talking things over about where the story was going about Harvey in this bar, and this guy comes over to try and yeah, make, like get something scene. going. And I didn't like Harry, that. Perry Mulligan just, she doesn't tell him, hey, listen, just, we're busy, okay? She gets really angry, <laughs> which is kind of yeah. interesting. That it's, uh, it, 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 you know, they could have, they didn't have to obviously present it that way. I don't know if it was based on reality, but it's really shocking to kind of say, wow, he's he really pissed off. Not just, I didn't uh, like you know. it because that, that to me was hitting it too hard. Hitting the nail too hard because you don't need to say that. You don't need to add to your story that these were man haters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't add to the story at all. Like I think it would have been more interesting as if she was with her husband and he tried to have sex with her after one of her. She said, "You know, don't you understand what I'm going through?" Like that. <laughs> that would have been good. <laughs> it doesn't happen always, especially if they see that women aren't, you know, uh, women are working or whatever. You know. You know, not all men are pigs, for them's sake. No, so even, even the, the worst hounds, the most obnoxious hounds, they can sniff the vibe pretty easy. Yes. And, and they, exactly. can, they can look look at three women talking, and the way those women look at that guy before he even says a word, he knows he yeah. has a shot at maybe getting them to talk to him. And, you know. but it would it, never it, happen. Never. Unless he was, yeah. they were really drunk and they were, like, in Texas. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I didn't buy that scene at all. But uh, yeah. anyway, my number six is Emily the Criminal. And I think you saw that, yes? Oh, no, but I'm dying to see it because she, I love her. She's um, wonderful. Yeah. It's really surprising how much better it, it turned out to be than I expected. Although it, it kind of treads water for the first, uh, you know, I don't know, 30, 35, 40 minutes. It's, it's okay. It's kind of, then it gets really good. So uh, it was she, really uh, she is, uh, endlessly watchable. I fell in love with her on White Lotus, and then I watched uh, Ingrid Goes West, which is uh, you know a really funny movie, and she's great in it. Um, Doesn't she play and, a really obnoxious character who everybody hates yeah. or something? Yeah. She plays a, um, a a sad stalker who like is obsessed with um, influencers. Yeah, she's she, a social media profile and whatnot, right? Yeah. But she's funny in it. She's just there's something about her that is really fun to watch uh, mm. on yep. screen. You know, yeah. She's got that X factor. Okay, my number seven is Christian Mungu's R M N, which has not had much uh, distribution on this side. Uh, in fact, I'm, oh. I'm not even sure they have screeners. Do you, do you know anything about it? Or oh, I haven't heard a thing. Maybe it's a next year. Maybe. Okay. I don't know why, because it was. Uh, it's it's. Pretty interesting, it really is. It's a, it's a, I mean, he, you know, he's the one who did uh, four months, three weeks, and two days, and he's a brilliant filmmaker, and I think he's world class in the level of, you know, anybody, Fellini or you know, you name it. He, but he's, uh, but it kind of um, had a kind of a okay, but not ecstatic reception in Ten. But I remember it. It's got a wonderful scene where this small town gets together in a church to talk about this. Uh, issue. It's basically about racism, and they and they discuss it, and this camera doesn't move for like 15 minutes, and it's really something. 
one of the most bravura long take scenes I've seen in a long time. My number eight is Top Gun, which we don't have anything to discuss about that. We both think it's very satisfying, and it's, uh, the industry should be extremely uh, happy and, and, and rejoicing that it happened, because at least it pointed, it explained to everybody that there is a, a market for, for movies that really get people, and, and this is the one that did. We, I don't think it's a great film, but it's very, very satisfying and very, very commercial. And him jumping out of the airplane, you saw that, right? Yeah, the, the most recent thing. Yeah, that was uh, he and Chris McQuarrie are up top. Yeah, that, that just happened. I, mean, that and there was... bit, I thought that that little bit of film was like some of the most exciting film all year. Uh, he, Tom Cruise is floating out of the plane, and he's on his back floating down, and the dude is acting. He's mm-hmm. acting. I was like, how is he able to do that? When he's skydiving, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. he's in the air and he's still doing his Tom Cruise thing, and he's he's, he's and he's just very casually gonna like pull his parachute. I was like, what? Wouldn't you be terrified? But I guess not. He must have he must have done this a million times. You know. He jumped over and over and over. Have you ever jumped? No, God no. Or have I? I would never. Fire probably has never jumped. <laughs> the director, no. writer of the Mission Impossible. Right? Tom Cruise, he's just got that thing about him, you know, gusto. And my number ten, number nine is Avatar, The Way of Water. We don't have to get into that again. And mm-hmm. we've already talked about Tar. That's my number ten. I'll go to the second uh, second ten very quickly. Uh, Bardo, which I is number 11 for me, and that's because it's, even though it's imperfect and it's maybe a little tiring, maybe it's a little less than fully satisfying is at least it's crazy and it's experimental and it's impressionistic and it's really going into kind of the poetry of a person's uh, you know, kind of middle-age crisis, if you will, and going into dreams and fantasies. And I just love the experimental wildness of it. I didn't love it altogether, but I really liked that he was doing this and I was happy with that uh, adventurous, adventurous spirit. Yeah. What do you think? Um, oh. Hang on. Oh, you, see, you haven't seen it yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> You've missed it until you're right, and you still haven't seen it. Okay. No problem. I'm supposed to watch it, I know. I'm just trying okay. to prepare myself to watch it. Okay. Anyway, uh, your favorite is number 12, is Banshees, initially, which, uh, you know, which we all, you know. I didn't want to get in a big fight again. Yeah. <laughs> We got. I love Colin Farrell. He's very good in it, and I really love um, uh, Carrie Condon, right? C O N D O N. Oh, and what a star! What a yeah. star she is, huh? God. Yeah. yeah. I, I keep wanting to go back to see it again because it, it is my number one favorite movie of the year. I just have to mm-hmm. feel myself up for it because it's pretty intense, you know. Yeah. So I'm not. You know, you're not always in the mood to watch something really intense like that. Um, but, um, but yeah, okay, good. I'm glad it's on your list. I, I noticed yep. in No Babylon. <laughs> There's no Babylon yet. I, 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 I couldn't uh, quite go. I, I, I admire what he tried to do, and I love that, again, same kind of Inarishi spirit, that adventurousness, that go for it, you know, no, no, no half measures. But I couldn't quite put it on the list. Sorry. But. Oh, no, really? It's not on any, it's not in your top 30? I'm sorry, but no, I didn't. Say it. Doesn't mean I, I don't respect it. 
Uh, but it's a, it's, it's a rough it's a rough set for some of us. And, uh, you know. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I don't know if the reviews have come out yet. Have they? Uh, what? Yes, they have. Did the reviews come out yet? Uh, yes, they did. Oh, no, wait, no, 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 I'm taking it back, take it back. It, it, it opens on the 23rd, so that's when all the reviews will be up. I, I, I'm, it's not going to be widely praised. It's going to be, you know, it's going to have the spotty, who knows what the Rotten Tomatoes score will be, but it won't be, it, it'll have some trouble in terms of critical response. But the, one thing that, love, love it. Yeah. the one thing they're doing that's really good is that they're mm-hmm. putting Margot Robbie's hotness front and center. Because I think that that's their best chance of getting people into the movies to see her and, and Brad Pitt. Right. But, you know, before word gets out. Mm-hmm. So people might be lured into seeing it. You know, you never know. <laughs> oh, God. Then I have uh, number 13, which is the Ron Howard film, 13 Lies. I was very impressed by it. But, again, that got hit by the woke thing because uh, the guys who actually got it done and, and saved those kids from the – from that uh, cave where it was very hard to get to because of flooding, uh, they were all British guys, white guys. So that that's wrong. The wokesters don't want to see that. They want to see native people uh, or people who are, you know, live in, in Thailand who are, who are saving their own, if you will. And because this had white guys saving the day, that didn't, that got some... But that's that. the real, the truth. That's the real story, right? Truth. Yes, Yes, it is. No, I get you. There's just there's the hesitancy to celebrate movies that celebrate white men. Right. It's so bizarre. It's like the Red Scare. I mean, it's really a strange phenom to be living here. I thought that movie was, you know, it, it's like the best movie that nobody is talking about. That movie. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a handsome production. It's really well made. It's, it's maybe one of his best films. I agree. I agree. You know, Ron Howard. Yeah. And Vigo is really good in it. Joel Edgerton is good in it. You know, they're all doing their best. Mm-hmm. Not a weak moment in that movie. Um, and it just completely, they got ghosted. Mm. Got ghosted by Oscar yep. season. It's strange. I also, my next one is Armageddon Time, which we saw together in Tell You Right. And you were touched by it. I know the sadness of the, of the, of the poor kid, the black character who, you know, gets the short end of the stick, and I think he had some arguments before. You didn't think it was completely honest or real, but I was very, I thought it was my favorite James Gray film since uh, Two Lovers, or, you know, way back. The best thing he's done in my book in quite some time. The weird thing about James Gray that I noticed is he's actually a really funny person, really, really funny, but his movies are never funny. And I was like, why doesn't he make funny movies, I wonder? That's a good point because he was really funny when I met him at the Telluride picnic a few months yeah, ago. Yeah, I mean he's a joke a minute guy, and his movies are just dead serious. You know. Um, That's a good point. He should make something smart assy like his like his uh, personality. You know, he's a he's a funny guy. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. Um, I know. I liked uh, I liked a lot of that movie. Again, that's another one where it just doesn't fit right. Even though he's telling a story about racism. It's still a white guy telling the story, you know, and uh, I don't know. Just there are certain things it can connect with, and and I get the feeling that there is no love for white men who tell stories about race. That's all right to do it. You you can't tell a story about race in a past context because uh, they just won't let you do it. 
can just get uh, either ignored right. or slapped exactly. down. Same, same thing with uh, with, uh, with Sam Mendes. Same thing happens. Same thing with Green Book. You right. can't do that. You can't do it if you're white. You can't. No matter how much they're telling you, you have to. George right. Clooney with that tender bar, like, just don't, you know, and it's, it's frustrating because it's a catch-22. Like, they say you have to tell these stories. You can't just tell white people stories. And when they don't tell white people stories, then they get, you know, slammed for that. So it's, it's a weird kind of place to be in, you know, and, and walking on eggshells. I think people should just tell stories that they want to tell and be done with it, you know? Precisely. They should just go with it and just, you know, just tell the story. But George, let's, let's be clear about this. George Clooney made a point of kowtowing to woke the sediment by making a kind of a, a waspy goddess figure in the book, uh, the original book about a... Uh, a girl from Westport, a rich parents and everything, and our hero, who is from um, Long Island, and it's like somewhat less elevated uh, economic status, he falls for her, and she's like this wonderful, wondrous thing, and of course she gets, he gets shafted by her, and you know, it's a heartbreaker. But uh, George made it, uh, made her into a woman of color with a, a bl- with a woman, with a uh, African-American mom and a white dad, I think. And so, uh, he was he catered to the whole thing of what he's supposed to do, at least according to the Wilkes and that didn't seem to make. Uh, and now he, he, really, he did the same thing that they did with Judith Judith Butler, who's supposed to be Gerard Baker. Uh, look, if black women were getting jobs as ed, as managing editors at the Wall Street Journal oh, all yeah, these yeah. years, do you really think that there'd be like people would be complaining about systemic racism mm-hmm. if that was the case? Like, hello, she's getting the top job at the Wall Street Journal, a conservative paper. But they had, so they did that, so they messed around with history. George right. You're not, you're not explaining what the film, you have to tell people what you're talking about. Oh. The film you're Ju- talking about. Judith Baker, you mean? Yes. You're not telling oh, people what the film is. Yeah, no, it's the series about um, the, you know, the... Um, Elizabeth... Uh, Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. With Amanda yeah, Seyfried. Yep. And, and they have to, you know, check off the boxes. So they have to tell the, the DEI counselors that they've put a, a woman or and a trans mm-hmm. person and a gay person and a disabled right. person and a fat person in all of the different parts. Like, all of those have to be represented now, like an M&M's commercial, you know. Um, they all have to be. <laughs> have you ever seen the woke? Have you ever seen the woke M&M's? Type sometimes to Google <laughs> woke M&M's. <laughs> I can remember that. That was a few months ago, but I, I'm, I'm yes, I just. Oh, oh my God! But um, you know, it, it's so sad to watch. But but you know, so they have to have every every time. So George Clooney clearly had to be doing the same thing. But the thing is, in so doing, mm. he's trying to tell us that at Yale, a black woman attending Yale back then wasn't a big deal. That she had no. Um, experience, you know, that it wasn't something people would be talking about, that was, she would be like a unicorn there, but even more than being at Yale, the fact that she'd be in Westport, Connecticut, which is the very, the epicenter of waspiness, the word wasp applies to Westchester, Connecticut, (laughs) you don't get anyone, so so there's never been a waspy world. There was never systemic racism. Not to mention the guy's family was working class, Long Island white. Yeah, right. 
right. who would have thought it was weird that he was dating a black girl, and they didn't as, want to go there. As I said in my review, I grew up in Wilton, Connecticut, which is right next to Westport. And um, if there were more than a couple of people of color in that community back then, I didn't notice it. Uh, I know that there was one magnificent woman, Betty Jones, who was an opera singer and her husband, who were friends of my mom and my, my dad. But she was the only one I ever saw in Wilton, Westport area in the 70s. Yeah, and that's, that's, you know, I mean, I'm sorry to have to tell them, but the rich, you know, the, the rich white people usually live in white neighborhoods, even now. Like, Ojai, my hometown, mm-hmm. Ojai is like 95% white, even now. When I yeah. went to high school there, we had, made, we had one black guy who went there, and he was my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. One black guy that was Christoph St. John, who became a soap opera actor and ended up dying. He's not alive anymore. But he was the only black kid in the entire school. Right. So I don't know, think that, pe- that white people living together or, or they're sort of predominantly white population, I don't think that in itself is evil. I just think that it's just... No, I don't either. It's just the way that it congregated. But what I'm saying is to just put a black character in a situation like that throws the whole story off. And you saw the people writing about it, taking him to task in a really angry way on Facebook, George Clooney, for, for presuming to tell the story about a black woman and how he, and, and she was saying like, you know, this movie just has her in there and they're not talking about her black experience. They're not talking about what it's like to be in Yale. They're not talking about what it's like to be. And so they were all pissed off too, the woke people, you know? And it just it did throw it off because the whole point is that let's just get back to the basics of what that story was. It was a memoir about this guy's life coming from um, Long Island, getting into Yale, and, and living what he thought was a Gatsby-esque experience, meaning he fell in love with the Daisy character. He fell in love with the unattainable blonde. It's a trope. You can't mess with that trope. You know, If you're going to tell that story, you've got to bring out the blonde. Mm-hmm. You know, make your Fargo Roby. You know, that's the character that she should that's be playing. Where it should have been, where it was. And then you have a movie that feels authentic. Now this is going to be forever cemented in time mm-hmm. as a strange thing George Clooney did one. Right. You know? Okay, Maybe. number number fifteen was uh, my my favorite fifteen uh, film was The Menu, which I was uh, saw late in the year. I didn't think it was great, but I thought it was pretty dark and pretty fascinating. And I had really no argument with it. Did you see it? No. You did not? I will see it eventually, yes. Okay. Is it good? I mean, it's, it's, no, it's not a great film. It's not like, wow. But it's, it's a pretty clever uh, kind of dark uh, you know, social comedy that has a lot of resonance. And, you know, it's a, it, it keeps the ball in the air. And, and you're, you're kind of pleased with the energy and the wit. And, the, and, the, and Ray Fiennes is wonderful as a demonic. Yes, so it's kind of fun, kind of fun. Um, next was uh, number 16 is God's Country, which uh, uh, Sandra yeah. Newton, you see that? That's, the woke, that's a, kind of a woke, angry woman from New Orleans who moves to Montana, and she gets into this uh, one-on-one conflict with, with right-wing Trump guys who want to hunt on her land. It's fascinating. It's fascinating in that sense that it's uh, kind of a, you know, microcosmic uh, Look at, at 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 left woke people versus uh, Trump people. So. The original short story wasn't about race. She wasn't a black character in the original story. 
Um, okay. All right. And so, was, to me, uh, to it was a male, male character, wasn't it? Yeah, and so it's like with, you know, it's like with Char, it's like with uh, Tender Bar. It's like when you, yeah. when you do the stunt casting, you throw the whole thing off in a different direction, mm-hmm. in my opinion. From, and so it's a, I think there's a conflict of what, I think people like you like it because you like to see Trump supporters get killed. But I don't <laughs> think there has to be more to it than that. It's just, I felt very shallow to me and, and just sort of like, you know, typical, I don't have to mean thing to say. I don't mean it that way. It's, I mean, it's, I didn't believe the story for one second that she would have moved there, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Okay. So. Number 17 is All Quiet on the Western Front, which is one of you, I know is one of your favorites. Yeah, and it's, absolutely. Uh, great, great movie. Blistering, bludgeoning, brutal film that tells the truth about what Eric Ramia, Maria Remarque wrote about back in the late 1920s, and it's, uh, it's a brutal anti-war film. And it doesn't have any uh, highs. It, it's really quite, quite, quite rough. But it's very well yeah. shot and very well produced. War is hell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. My number, my number eighteen is one that still hasn't been seen because I think it only just got picked up after screening at Sundance last January, and it's called Palm Trees and Power Lines, and it's about a yeah. young girl. Did you see it? No, I heard about it. It's pretty uh, pretty amazing because it's really they're very it's one of the, has one of the coldest and most horrifying sex scenes at the end that I won't describe but it's about it's horrible and it's and it's one of those things that just just put, goes right into your bones and it makes you horrified for this poor girl and uh, and the, and the creep who is uh, her boyfriend who's a guy in his thirties is basically manipulating her into prostitution it's horrible horrible. It's very powerful, and it was based on a short, and um, and I, I kind of understand why it took so long to get picked up, but I think it has been finally acquired, and I think it'll be released sometime next year. I, I, I don't say that having read that. I'm just presuming that would be the case, because it right. took all year to be, you know. My number 19 was Triangle of Sadness, which I thought was not as good. It's Ruben Austin, but it's not as good as The Square. And mysteriously and, and mystifyingly, it won the Palm d'Or in Cannes last May, and it also yeah, won the Best Picture for the European Film Awards. It's, it's it's good, but it's not that good. So I don't know how that. All because of this wokester. I, mean, I hate to keep using that word, but that's the message of the movie, you know. Yeah. That's where it takes you. It takes you to because a place. Because it despises people of wealth, and it, and it makes fun of them. Yeah, but. It- if it was just about wealth, mm-hmm. you know, but it's not. It's about, you know, she is, you know, they, they, the race component is there. Mm-hmm. And yes. I think if, if the race, and I, you know, I understand the message. It's like, I think that they think that when people come to sit down and watch these movies, mm-hmm. that they're not aware of our history and, you know, that they need yet another lesson about white right. privilege and, mm-hmm. I mean, is that really what we're going to just keep getting over and over and over again, that same message? It's like, okay, so, you know, so she, you know, she can take the, the white girl's place if she kills, kills her and they never, you know, go back to civilization because civilization means that she has a lower station in life. But I don't know if I 100% bought that either because she was pretty smart and resourceful. You know, it seems like she yeah. could have found her way out of that. And that actress, who's uh, somewhat older, 40-ish, I think, uh, is uh, being 
talked about as a possible best supporting actress, maybe. Uh, who knows? She's good. She's good. I, I did not like that movie at all, but um, I think she's good. I was disturbed by her using that guy as a sex thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of odd, but, you know. Uh, anyway, I thought it was kind of ran out of gas. You remember that line um, that uh, Robert Altman said about saying that some film critic said that Robert Altman was toying with us by showing us the boobs of the girl we didn't want to see and not showing us the boobs of the girl we did want to see. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I had a world, world famous boobs of Greta Skakis he kept under wraps. So I thought that was interesting. And that was kind of like Triangle of Sadness, like, he swapped it out that way. He shows the sex of the older female, but not so much sex of the younger, hotter girl. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And then my number 20 is Holy Spider, which is an Iranian film about a serial killer who uh, was killing prostitutes. And there was uh, a, a, a big popular sentiment once he was captured that because he was doing Allah's bidding by killing prostitutes, there was a significant portion of the population in that part of Iran that wanted him freed. It's a fascinating, oh bizarre, bizarre cultural thing. And uh, I didn't think it was a great film, but I thought, wow, that's something I've never confronted or thought about. about the oh, is it a documentary or is it fiction? No, it's a, it's a, it's a regular feature. And it's uh, the actor who played the murderer, I think, was singled out for one of the awards in Cannes. Is it a um, is it a um, true based on a true story? Yes, it is. Oh it God! Wow! It happened in the eighties. So that's Iranian culture for them. Oh my God! Wow! Actually, no. Well, I take it back. It it was set twenty one years ago, so that means it happened around two thousand two thousand one something like that. Uh, it's a, as, as I wrote, it's a disturbing hack fact based drama about. Saeed Hane, a serial killer of prostitutes. Well, why is it their fault that the, the guys are horny and want to sleep with them, you know? They're just fulfilling precisely. a need. Precisely. It's awful. It's ugly. Yeah. It's horrific. Oh. He is really supportive. Bad. This guy, once he is captured, he is bizarrely supported by fanatical zealots who believe he has done Allah's bidding. Oh, That's my God. It's horrifying. But it's really worth seeing because it's, it's, it's a civilized, smart person drama, and it doesn't, of course, uh, uh, you know, endorse or wink at the sentiments of the people that want him freed. They think it's uh, falling as you and I feel, but it's pretty good. I, I, I respect it. It's a very good film. Anyway, there's 10 more, but we're, I think we've gone past our limit, so why don't we talk about the other 10 when we're, we have some more time the next time. Yeah, we can do that. Um, I'm probably going to have to cut the first part of it way down. Yeah, maybe yeah. you can blow it off. It's okay with me. Yeah, I'll I think that we, we 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 stuck on the we stayed to a to a thing, and we and we had, we had a good through line. You know, we had like. And we films. probably sound better on the second one, so yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. try to cohere them together in a way that makes sense, so that you know, or cut out yeah. any reference to the earlier yeah. conversation. Um, but that was a whole half hour. I don't even know what we talked about. Uh, well, I kind of diverted this by talking about. DEI uh, a popularity of, of, of representation in music, and it's not really the music. Oh, yeah. We, it. we don't need to. We, we definitely do. I don't think you, reader, your listeners, would want to hear any of that, so I'll cut yeah. it out. Um, 
All right, so let me just, before, so we're, if we're just keeping this part of it, we have, we've done 50 minutes, so we have 10 more minutes. So we'll have an hour. And um, I'll just tell you really quickly what my favorite films of the year are. And then the next time we talk, I'll give you a more complete list of my okay. favorite. I have to see some movies first before okay. I make up a list. But the movies that I thought were good that I haven't heard you mention yet, maybe they're on your list. Watcher. Yeah, that's on my list. It's number 28, actually. Yeah, I really I even put Bros there at number 29, which I thought, even though it died and everybody thought it was too graphic and didn't really connect with the main field, I thought it was pretty well done, pretty well written. Yeah, I like that. I like a movie called um, All, which is another weird horror movie about these. It's not a horror movie. It's an adventure movie. These two girls get stuck up on a tower. And they have to survive. And I just thought it was really well directed. And that guy's a star. Like that director. Okay. He's a star. He's going to end up with a good career on his hands. Because that movie shows he can really, really direct. You stated that when you told me the title. What's the title again, please? Fall. F-A-L-L. Fall. Okay, got it. Okay. And it's on streaming. And um, only a few people I know have ever heard of it. But I just really liked the way he directed it. It's kind of a dumb plot. But the direction is amazing, and and I think that he's a, he's a star is born that guy, and you know him and so Fall and Watcher and Vengeance were three movies by up and coming directors that I thought were really good and worth paying attention to. That Chloe Chloe Acuno who directed um, Watcher, she's one of the women directors that is getting ignored, but I think did the best one of the best jobs this year. I completely agree with you. It was a really Gosh. brilliant Roman Polanski film. I'm very happy. Yeah, with you're, you're watching it and you're not even thinking, oh, yeah, a woman directed this. You're just like, this is a really good movie. And that's, you yeah. know, that's, that says something. Same um, vibe I got from Catherine Bigelow and Burt Locker. You just don't yeah, think about I, the sexuality of the director. It's very, very good. Yeah, you know, talent. Having talent. You know, not every. Let me tell you a really quick story and then I'll, I'll hang up and then we can do my movies next time. Is that. Okay. I always remember this story. I was in. Another college story. I was at NYU um, in my, as an undergraduate. I spent one semester there, just like I spent one semester in Columbia. And I was taking a painting class, an oil painting class, because I, you know, I'd seen life lessons. I was all into it. I wanted to be a painter. And um, this incredible, incredible teacher, of course, NYU is the best. He was just this great sir, amazing. And I, I really wanted to impress him. And he gave us an assignment, you know, he said, make, give us these three, draw three shapes, a square, a rectangle, three shapes, a square, a rectangle, and a circle. And so there were all these hot shots in the class, you know, all these, like, really good-looking people, really fancy, interesting people. And everybody went home, and they all tried to do their, their circles. And we came back the next day, and he put up all the pictures on the, on the board, and we were looking at all of them. And everybody was trying to do their best, you know. This and that, whatever. Then there was this one that really stood out. It was the artist had drawn these little cubes and circles and stuff as though they were huddling in the winter, little figures that you could barely make out, totally obscured by snow. And he walked up to it and he pointed at it and he said, that's that's talent. Mm -hmm. That's taking and saying something with your work and not Mm -hmm. just trying to make the shape. And I always think about that because it frustrated me so much. And the person that did it was this total wallflower girl who had no 
friends. It wasn't popular. It wasn't pretty or anything. She was just this weird-looking girl, mm-hmm. shy, introverted. I just thought, it's so funny because you can never tell, like, who necessarily is going to have talent and who is it. It's just something some people have. That's right. You know? It doesn't work necessarily out. involve political skills either. No, and look, you can still be a good director and not be talented. You know, if you work hard enough, you can make good movies if you're, you know. But talent, God, that's a hard thing to come by. And I think mm-hmm. that, that Sophie Alcuno really does have talent um, as a really director. Something. And I think she's probably almost certainly going to have a good career because anybody that knows any even less than brilliant agents and, and, and managers can see that she knows what she's doing. She's very good. So I, I hope it works out for her, and it certainly should work out for her. So. Well, I'm, I'm entering Denver, which is a traffic nightmare, and this is mm-hmm. the reason why everybody says don't take the 70 is because you don't want to get stuck in Denver traffic. So here I am, stuck in Denver traffic, just so you know. So you're going around Denver, I think. No, I'm driving right through the the belly of the beast. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's terrible. All right, so I think that was good. Hopefully we got something out of it, and um, we made it work. Okay, I'm uh, glad. I I felt very good. I felt very good. Drive carefully. Drive carefully and be be mindful of the ice if it shows up. Alrighty. Have a good one. Okay. Bye. We skip the light fandango. Turned cartwheels across the floor. I was feeling kind of seasick. The crowd called out for more. Just ghosty Turn